2: Welcome to the Patch Johnson Show, Ben B-Baby Byron filling in as your host on the ones and twos, my man Derek Alcorn, D-Rock, how you doing my man? I'm doing good buddy, how are yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, what a wild way to finish the show yesterday, uh, a revelation about some Eagles fans expressing their love into the bathroom, and next thing you know, intern Courtney comes on the mic and is dropping some local deets, she's dropping, I don't know, I I I didn't want to have it become TMZ Greenville there, so... We had to get away from that, but I do have a follow-up on that whole Eagles-Panthers story. We'll get to that more on, more so at the end of the show. But first, let's get into today's Pirate Report.
0: And now, Patrick Johnson with today's Pirate Report on the flagship station of the ECU Pirates, ninety-four-three, the game.
2: Today's Power Report brought to you by Greenville Pathology. We are part of the local community, Greenville Pathology. We don't see a specimen, we see you. Also by Wilson Road's Heating and Air Conditioning, keeping you comfortable since 1961. So let's go to get started here. I'm not one to hammer the coaching staff and call the coaching staff's head or anything like that. I try to refrain myself from saying that the coaching staff should have done this or that. But, I mean, it's natural. We all do it. In the times when I do criticize part football, I don't want to say I try to be constructive, but I try to more so see both sides of the argument. I'd like to see the fan side and see their perspective, and I like to see the coaching staff side and their perspective. One thing I'm getting at here is that it's no secret that people are unhappy when it comes to ECU football's offense, more so the play calling and Donnie K. To a certain extent, rightfully so, it's warranted. So when I listened to last night's Mike Houston radio show, which, by the way, you can hear every Monday, immediately following the Patrick Johnson Show right here at 6, exclusively on the flagship station of the ECU Pirates, 94-3 the game. But when I listened to the Mike Houston radio show last night, I kind of wanted to hear the ins and outs of what was going on with the offense, right? Is there an issue we don't know about that's contributing to the offense's kind of inconsistency? You know, what is going on? I want to know. So, I got to give credit to my man, Jeff Charles. He really asked some pressing questions when it came to the ECU offense last night. And coach was kind of dancing around the issue there for a little bit at the beginning. A direct quote from Mike Houston when we asked about the offense, or when Jeff Charles asked about the offense, was, I'm not going to get into offensive play, calling. That's all could have, should have, would have. He even stated last night that there's some execution issues and you know what not the normal coaches speak but uh later on the show he really started to open up and uh cut two, i believe here's when he really started to talk about the offense's kind of inefficiencies later in that ball game and them not really being able to close out the ball game and find a way to win
1: i got onto him pretty hard you know when he when he tried the the ball to the back of the end zone to CJ it was a very tight window it was a very low percentage throw and he is such an effective runner, and he would have at least gotten the first down, another inside red zone territory where he kicked a field goal, I think he probably would have scored. I think it would have been a bang-bang play at the, at the pylon. But, you know, and that's – so, again, you know, like today in practice, you know, any time that even in pass scale, you know, making him run, you know, getting him in that habit of, of thinking that to use his legs, he and Mason are both effective runners. Um, and, you know, the – the same, the same things that uh, that that are very obvious. They're obvious to all of us, and so those are things that we definitely have to do better at. You know, you're talking about two two situations right there. That's two touchdowns instead to of field goals. That's eight points. Yep, that's the ball game.
2: So just to put that in context a little bit, he started talking about Holt Ayler's and Holton Ayler's kind of bad decision late in the ball game on third down and use in the UCF territory to uh, throw it to the back of the end zone on third down instead of. Running for the first down, which he had a clear shot to, shot to do that. He possibly could have got a touchdown. So just a bad decision on Holton's part. But what I mainly got out of this, and I picked the three best cuts from the show because, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. Talking about Chris Johnson, you know, who cares? But, you know, I, it, what, what this kind of shows me that for once, at least he's holding Holton and the offense accountable, which we have not seen a lot this season. I think he's even held the defense a whole lot more accountable than the offense, and the defense has played very well this year, made huge strides, especially when it comes to tackling. For the past six or seven years, we've seen ECU defenses that miss tackles, love to arm tackle. It seems like we finally got that figured out. We finally got that fast, physical defense that Mike Houston wants. We have a defense that can compete in the American, which I found it odd and strange that it's pretty obvious now the offense is not playing up to par, which we probably wouldn't have expected coming into the season. And he hasn't been holding them accountable. Hasn't really said anything about it when it comes to the press conferences. Every once in a while he'll say a guy needs to step up, but he doesn't really go too much into detail. And right there, I think that's, that's a step in the right direction. I know it sounds minuscule, and some people might be laughing at me right now, like, hey, it's, it's, just a, it's just a whatever quote. It's just so he can silence the fans, get them off his back. But I think it's a step in the right direction. At the end of the day, he's got to realize the offense has to be better to compete in the American. At the end of the day, he's got to realize he's got to find a way to close out ball games. And what ECU did in that UCF game, they had a chance to win. They were the better team on the field. They just didn't put themselves in the right position to win that ballgame. Which kind of leads me to my next quote here or the next quote from Mike Houston on the Mike Houston Radio Show. He talked about the decision. This is what every Pirate fan wants to know. What's up with the deal? This is where he holds the defense accountable. What is up with the deal rushing three on fourth and eight? And, of course, UCF was able to convert, and that pretty much sealed the deal for him. That pretty much won UCF the ball game. What happened there? What was the logic? What was the rationale to rush three on fourth and eight?
1: So th- third down, uh... On third and eight, we, we brought uh, eight-man pressure, had a ninth added on, so it was a max blitz, zero coverage. Uh, they tried to throw the fade route, uh, and we defended that. Uh, so there was a timeout. Debated debated during the timeout, we were going to go with a man-free pressure. Decided we felt like they were going to try to do something, expecting man coverage. Uh, so we went with a drop eight uh, kind of deal. Uh, and and they, were, they had a play called to try to attack man coverage, so we defended that very well. Uh, they threw the check down to the running back, and, you know, we had two players who just, you know, weren't in great position, should have been in better position to be able to tackle that one, get it on the ground. We didn't get it on the ground. And it's, uh, you know, it's an execution thing uh, with our drops right there and, and, you know, attacking downhill, you know, triggering just a little bit faster. I kind of see the logic there, but
2: at the end of the day, you got to rush four. And you know, kind of the hot take coming away from that game, specifically about that play from Part fans, well was well, Blake Harrell's defense, the basis of it is blitzing, which is correct. That is true. They make up for a lot of they make up for a lot on that defense in terms of their weaknesses and play to their strengths, and their strength is blitzing. It covers a lot of holes on that defense. But, I mean, call me crazy. I don't think on fourth and eight you want to call a blitz. Somebody's going to be open. I don't think that's any better than rushing three. I mean, maybe because you can get pressure on the freshman quarterback. But at the end of the day, that's a UCF-level recruit. And UCF-level recruits now are four and maybe, I don't know, about five stars, but they're routinely four-star guys. They're going to exploit a blitz on fourth down. They're going to find the open man. So I don't know if the alternative in terms of blitzing Was it going to be much better? At the very least, you should have rushed for. I'll put it there. I'll leave it at that. Playing prevent defense in that kind of situation in that moment also wasn't a good idea, but I see the logic there. They thought UCF was going to try to stretch the field, look for the long ball or the deep ball. It's fourth and long. They thought they were going to throw it down the field. It makes sense. But he also got a factor in the running back, which they didn't. And he pretty much got a gain of 12, got a first down, sealed the deal. It happens. That's why you want to rush four. At least somebody can account for the running back. When you rush three, there's no chance you're going to do it. So it was kind of cool to hear the rationale there and what was going on. Um, I feel like we did deserve an explanation there, and we finally got it. And then um, one more thing. What was the last cut, D-Rock, if you don't mind? Yeah, this was another one. Team feels like they can compete with the rest of the teams in the conference. I agree with that. I mean, I I so yesterday I looked at the stretch of games after Houston, and I think Houston's a little bit overrated. Houston maybe is a winnable game. I don't know. It's it's a stretch, but I could see them pulling that game off. I don't think Houston is as good as everybody says they are, and I'm not gonna get into it. Moving on from that, I talked about the stretch with you got USF, Memphis, Temple, and Navy. Those are all winnable games. At the very least, I know ECU has a better football team than three out of the four of those teams. And they got a chance to win all of them. Here's Mike Houston talking about this is a team that could compete with any team in the conference.
1: I mean, you look, yeah. at, the, look, look at that drive in the fourth quarter against a very, very good defense and just, you know, really just a, a very impressive drive. Again, you have to get the touchdown. You know, we, 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 we can't you you got to put right. it in the end zone instead of right. instead of converting those to field goals on a drive like that. But the way the way you dominated the line of scrimmage on that drive, and then just you know the way our kids are flying around and, and tackling and playing defense, it's you know it's we're, we're playing the way you got to play to win games in this league. And you know I shared with a, a couple of our alums as I came in. I, the the great thing is the, the feeling inside the locker room with these players is we can play with anybody in this league. Yep, and I can promise you that was not the the attitude in uh, th- that we walked into, and it's and that's been one of the biggest things to overcome is the confidence that they can they can win these ball games, and they felt like they should have won Saturday night, no doubt.
2: Uh, two things from that, I realized why I picked that cut again. Number one, he's holding the offense accountable again. You love to hear it. We got to see results, though. Guys need to start being held accountable in practice. I'm talking guys like Holton and Aylers. Challenge him to be better. Guys like C.J. Johnson, that's another guy that needs to be challenged to be better. We haven't heard from C.J. in, what, two years? Let's be honest. Second thing, and this is what really bugs me about Mike Houston and his press conferences and what's really, I think, bugging the fans as a whole. I'm speaking to the fans right now. I'm tired of hearing we're better than when Scotty Moe was here. This program's better than what Scotty Moe left it. Of course it would be. Anybody can step in and make it better. I could step in and probably make it better. We gotta we gotta let that go. We gotta move on. I mean, that's like his I don't know, I guess that's like his saving grace. At least we're better than, than Scotty Mo. We get it. We know that. You don't have to tell us that. I don't exactly know what your point is. Move on from that, man. At the end of the day, we gotta see results. Prove it to us that you are better. Prove it. I mean, you look at the wins that Mike Houston has had so far, probably his most impressive win. A lot of people are going to say Marshall, but we still don't know how good that Marshall team is. We still don't know. Probably his best win was SMU last year. Outside of that, Tulane, I think they're imitators. I don't think they're really the real deal. I think a lot of people got fooled by that Oklahoma game at the beginning of the year. In week one, mind you, Week one, let's pump the brakes with Tulane there. Yes, it was a monumental win. That was a win that can really kind of gain some momentum and get this program going. But let's not act like we beat a great Tulane team. One and three coming into that game. Their only saving grace was they almost beat Oklahoma in week one. At the end of the day, we got to see results, and we got to stop hearing that it's we're better than the Scotty Mo era. It's not that much hard. I mean, it's not hard to be better than the Scotty Mo era. What, did he win nine games when he was here? Did he even win nine games when he was here? You don't have to look it up, D-Rock. It's somewhere around there. (laughs) Settle down, young fella. At the end of the day, we just want results. We don't need to hear that. And we want you to start holding guys accountable, especially on that offense. And I think when they start doing that, and I'm not saying they're not doing that, but it's pretty clear. Something needs to be done with CJ. Something needs to be done with Holton. I'm not talking benching, but they need to be challenged. And when they start doing that, then we could really have a team that not only is going to produce results, but you could legitimately say can compete in this conference. Anyways, that's going to do it for today's Pirate Report, brought to you by Greenville Pathology. We are part of the local community, Greenville Pathology. We don't see a specimen. We see you. Also by Wilson Roads Heating and Air Conditioning, keeping you comfortable since 1961. Also, I want to give a shout-out to HV3. Congratulations to him. ECU alum, also playing on the PJ tour, of course. On the birth of his new son, you want to guess what his name is, D Rock? You want to take a wild guess? Come on, D Rock. It's not that hard. Really? H V four, dude. Come on. I mean, I mean, what other name would you call him? Okay, that's a given. I should yeah, get that. called him H V four. Love to see it. Congratulations to him. H V three, always a good time, always a good interview, always a good guy. We love H V three. That's going to do it for today's Pirate Report. Uh, Coming up, I found this interesting article uh, posted by Sports Illustrated about two hours ago. Conference USA is reaching out to the American about a possible realignment, almost like a trade, a trading of teams within the conference. And I think there's implications in this letter from the Conference USA commissioner to the American that can kind of reveal some details about who may possibly be joining the conference. So we'll get to that, all that, and much more next here on The Patrick Johnson Show.
0: More of The Patrick Johnson Show is coming up on your flagship home of the ECU Pirates. 94.3 The Game. Another season of Rose Rampant's football is back on your home for Greenville Sports and the ECU Pirates. Let's
1: go! 20, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30.
0: three. One, 94.3 The Game. J.A. Troy's football is brought to you by the law firm of Hardy, Massey & Blanche, Sam Pollard & Son, Heating & Air, First Bank, Caraway Office Solutions, Stadium Sports, and Doctors Bowman Paget & Associates Dentistry. The Rampant's play here on the home for Rose Rampant's football. Ninety-four-three. The Game.
3: Did you know 80% of North Carolina's harvest is made into food products in other states? That's why food scientists at NC State are partnering with industry and government to turn local crops into North Carolina products, creating new opportunities for our farmers and businesses and adding jobs in rural communities. At NC State, what we think and do grows our economy from seed to supermarket. Discover how we're growing new food opportunities. Visit wegrownc.ncsu.edu.
0: Dr. Philip Goldstein and Dr. Danielle Hofat, the specialists at Carolina Digestive Diseases and Endoscopy Center, want to keep you healthy. These two doctors provide personal consultations and offer treatment and quality care for all your GI needs. Just call the office at 252-758-8181. Appointments are always available within five business days. Hi, this is Dr. Philip
4: Goldstein reminding you that a colonoscopy can save your life. Visit our website cddgastro.com and come see us at Carolina Call right now. That number again is 800-280-2144. Watch
0: out! You got me! The galaxy is safe once again.
5: (laughs) In the pretend universe, kids play with pretend guns. In the real world, it's up to us to make sure they don't get their hands on a real gun. If you have a gun in the house, keep it locked unloaded and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council.
0: Pirate Basketball lives right here. Right here. Bang! Bang! Oh,
5: what a shot on
0: the flagship station of the ECU Pirates. 943, the game.
2: Welcome back into the Patrick Johnson Show. Ben Barns filling in for the P-Man, who's on some much-deserved vacay. On the ones and twos, my man D-Rock, Derek Alcorn, and uh, about two hours ago, Sports Illustrated released kind of an interesting article. Um, some reports in here. Uh, it goes: Conference USA executives plan to send a letter Tuesday, which is today, to the American Athletic Conference, asking them to consider a regionalization model to reorganize the two leagues. So the first thing I thought when I saw this was, okay, what does this mean? Does this mean we're forming a mega conference? Uh, Are these conferences going to coexist? What's the deal here? And then you look into it, and apparently what it kind of looks like is they're almost considering like a trade almost. The American's going to give up some of their uh, teams to the Conference USA and the Conference USA is going to give up some of their teams to the American, and the idea is all the teams in the East are going to be in one conference and form one conference. All the teams, more so out West, are going to be out West and form another conference. That furthers the idea of regionalization. But what this kind of tells me, if you read in between the lines here, this tells me that Mike Oresco is heavily pursuing some teams in the Conference USA, probably their best teams, and uh, what it kind of tells me is that the Conference USA, the commissioner here, Judy McLe- McLeod, McLe- McLeod, she has a weird last name, DRock, excuse me. I'm sorry. But what this kind of tells me is she's kind of doing damage control right now. She realizes if the AAC takes her best teams away, her biggest markets away from the, from the Conference USA, she won't have a conference left. That conference would be in shambles. And I think what she's trying to do is trying to find a way to coexist, trying to find a way to keep the conference alive, and trying to do some damage control, what what it kind of seems like to me. In the proposal, the conferences will look like this. Um, here we go. The Western Conference would include SMU, North Texas, Rice, UTEP, Southern Miss, Tulane, Tulsa, Louisiana Tech, Wichita State, UAB, Memphis, and Texas San Antonio. The Eastern Conference will feature East Carolina, Charlotte, Old Dominion, Temple, Marshall, FAU, FIU, South Florida, Middle Tennessee, Western Kentucky, and two potential new additions. First off, first reactions to those proposed conferences there. I like ECU's chances in that new proposed Eastern Conference. Probably the best team is Marshall. Yeah, Marshall's probably the best team up there. Besides that, you got Charlotte, maybe? Charlotte might be the best team. I mean, I couldn't tell you much about Middle Tennessee and FIE. I think there's a reason why we don't know much about them. We're not hearing a lot from them. But I like ECU's chances in terms of winning in that conference. But, man, this when you look at the Western Conference, it sure does seem one-sided in terms of competition. And if the ID here, which it seems like, if the AAC is going to be become the Western Conference or the Eastern Conference, and if vice versa for Conference USA, it just seems very one-sided. It just doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. I don't see how the AAC gets better with this. And I think kind of when you're read in between the fine lines when it comes to this report, is all it is is damage control. This tells me Mike Oresco has been reaching out to the Conference USA. He's been trying to cherry pick their best teams. And uh, this lady here, old Judy, is just trying to save the conference. So when you look at the Conference USA, you got teams like North Texas, Rice, UTEP, Southern Miss, Louisiana Tech, what else? UAB. Texas San Antonio, Charlotte, Old Dominion, on and on. I look at maybe AAC's coming after Marshall. Maybe they're coming after a team like Texas San Antonio. Maybe a UAB, a North Texas. And if so, I like it. I like that idea. I like I think the farthest west that the AAC should go is Texas. To be quite honest with you, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me when Mike Oresco started with the whole Western Conference expansion, looking at teams like Air Force. Air
1: Force, geez.
2: Colorado State. Boise State. Those two make sense. Boise State has a history of a winning program. They have tradition there. Colorado State's in a good TV market. You can't convince me Air Force First of all, I've looked at the numbers. Air Force, I don't even think it's a top 100 market. If it is, it's barely a top 100 market. Um, And it's just, the only thing that makes sense there is maybe convenience. It would be nice to say, hey, we can have an Air Force-Navy matchup every year or something like that. But it just doesn't make financial sense. You know the teams in your conference right now, in the American, are struggling financially. Maybe besides UCF. For all we know, they're probably struggling financially. So why would you have Western Conference expansion having teams like San Diego State or trying to pursue teams like that? It just doesn't make sense in terms of travel expenses. I just don't see how that benefits the teams that are already in the conference. Wouldn't it be a good deal to have to send your volleyball team out to San Diego if you're ECU? That is a boat well when it comes to travel expenses. That just screams disaster to me. And let's face it, I mean, those games are not going to draw. There's no interest there. I like the idea of this lady bringing up a regionalization concept because here's why. People are saying, don't get at State because it affects recruiting. Don't get Marshall. Too close. It affects recruiting. Coastal Carolina, don't get them. At the end of the day, what's going to be good for the conference is if you have matchups that people want to see, if you can engage fan-based interest, You can't tell me people would not show up to ECU Marshall, no matter how bad they are. Or ECU App State. That's a rivalry brewing right there. Especially if ECU can get back on the right track. Or ECU Coastal Carolina. I think there's interest there. More so than ECU Air Force. ECU San Diego State. Just doesn't make a lot of sense to me in terms of that Western Conference expansion. You can say TV market's all you want, but at the end of the day, there's a way to get revenue and draw and get money from keeping it regional. At the end of the day, you're going to get viewerships, you're going to get ratings off of the best teams playing against one another. Matchups where there's interest. Matchups that people want to see. Nobody wants to see ECU San Diego State. It's that simple. That's not going to draw ratings. That's not going to draw money. I don't even know if San Diego State draws money on its own in the conference they're in. Just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, that whole Western Conference expansion thing. And I think the best case scenario with that whole deal is what ended up happening. They decided they're staying in the Mountain West. Go to rent it. Sayonara. Good on you. Thank God. I don't see... I get it, Charlotte's in the same state as ECU, but I don't see that affecting recruiting as much as people say. I get there's they're pretty close regionally. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just it, – it, that kind of stuff doesn't really matter to me. Like, you're just – people have their mindset on what program they're going to play for, especially if you're a Conference USA or American-level recruit. I think they have their mindset of who they're going to play for. It's not like we're in the SEC or something here. When everybody's got a ton of options. People at this lower level kind of conferences here, not quite P5, are going to go to the place where they get the most playing time. And have a chance to be on TV. That's about it. But really... The place where they can get the most playing time more than anything. So I don't buy into the whole Charlotte's going to affect recruiting. What's the draw with Charlotte, by the way? And people could say the same thing about ECU, but really, what's the draw with Charlotte? Nobody shows up to their games. I get the facilities are better, but that's not a program that has a history of winning. It's in a big market, I guess. You could say that much. It's in a city. I mean, there's not much of a draw there when it comes to recruiting. I think there's way more of a draw when it comes to ECU and recruiting. I don't think the whole Charlotte deal affects us whatsoever. App State, yeah, maybe. I get it. ECU, Charlotte, I don't think there's really a case there. Anyways, I, th- I thought that whole deal was interesting, and I think when you read into the fine lines, it reveals a lot. And tomorrow, me and Philip, who will be joining us tomorrow on this show, be your co-host for the rest of the week. We will be at, or we will be in the uh, press conference for AAC basketball media days, and uh, Mike Resco is going to be in that. And kind of like how Patrick's brought up the past few weeks, somebody's got to bring up conference expansion. What teams are they looking at? Even if he doesn't answer it, somebody's got to bring it up, and uh, you can count on us. If nobody does it, actually, we'll be try to we'll try to be the first ones to ask him. What's going on with conference expansion? Who are you considering? And maybe even bring up this report. Reports indicate uh, there's some kind of agreement going on or this Conference USA is reaching out, trying to throw around the idea of maybe regionalization type concept. One conference becomes Western. One conference becomes Eastern. Maybe ask them about that. We'll have that and more coming your way tomorrow. Tomorrow. As uh, we'll wrap up the first day of AAC Basketball Media Days. Also, Joe Dooley is expected to be on that press conference. So, all that and much more as we get ready for the basketball season. All right. My man D-Rock has been patiently standing by during that whole kerfuffle. That blabbering there. He's, got, he's underway for a little sports update there. What's going on with Chucky? What's the latest with that? What's going on with MLB playoffs? What's going on with Kyrie? All that and much more here. On your 94 through the game sports update. Take it away D-Rock.
5: Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Derek Alcorn, and we're gonna. I'm here with your 94.3 The Game sports update. Starting off in the NFL, as Joe Gruden has to step down as the head coach of the Raiders after it's revealed by the New York Times that Gruden was sending racist, homophobic, and misogynistic emails over an eight-year span. The assistant coach, Rich B, Bissia, Bissia, excuse me, will step in as Rich the B, coach for the Raiders. Meanwhile, the Detroit Lions Pro Bowl center, Frank Ragnall, will have a season-end season an ending toe injury. The 49ers quarterback, Trey Lance, suffers a knee injury to his first start, and he isn't expected to miss a whole lot of time, but they'll evaluate whether he's good to go after this week's bye. The Buccaneers linebacker, Levante David, will miss an entire game due to an ankle injury, and the Philadelphia Eagles tight end, Dallas Goddard, has been placed on the COVID-19 watch list. For Major League Baseball, game four of the ALDS between the Astros and the White Sox. Currently, that game is in the bottom of the seventh, and the Astros lead it 6-1. to one. Currently underway, the Brewers are taking on the Braves in the NLDS, and the Braves are leading the series two to one. That game is currently at the middle of the first, and it's still a zero to zero game. Later on tonight at about seven o'clock, or excuse me, later on tonight at about nine oh seven, game four of the NLDS between the Giants and the Dodgers. San Francisco leads the series two games to one, and the Giants are expected to start Anthony DeSol... De Stul- I'm sorry, Anthony. I'm just. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna apologize to you right now, my man. Anthony Sculvani on the mound while the L.A. has yet to announce another starter. Elsewhere in baseball, New York Yankees owner Hal Steinbrenner has indicated that he will keep Aaron Boone as the manager of the Yankees. And to wrap it up from the NBA, the Nets are refusing to let Kyrie Irving play until he gets the COVID-19 vaccine. That'll about do it for your 94.3 The Game Sports Update. I'm Derek Alcorn.
0: Videos, articles, and what's going on in the Pirate Nation. I thought
5: that's what Facebook updates were
0: for. Like and comment on 94.3 The Game's Facebook page right now. More of the Patrick Johnson Show is coming up on 94.3 The Game and 94.3thegame.com. For a
3: casual and relaxing dining experience, look no further than Main & Mill Oyster Bar & Tavern in downtown Winterville. Locally owned and operated by David and Kelly Munoz, Main & Mill Oyster Bar & Tavern offers a wide variety of appetizers, soups, salads, and entrees, with specialty mixed drinks and a great selection of craft beers. Open Tuesday through Saturday, 4 until 10, or call 227-4399. Main & Mill Oyster Bar & Tavern in downtown Winterville. At US Cellular, we can help everyone stay connected for less. And less also means more, as in more choice. Right now, you choose any phone and we make it free. Plus, get unlimited data for $30 a month with four lines. US Cellular, America's locally grown wireless. Terms apply to uscellular.com for details. Now that life is returning to normal, we've found a lot of good things that came from the pandemic. One of them is not having to go to the wireless store anymore the Cellular Warehouse team has been in the business of delivering phones to your home and office for 20 years. People found out about our free delivery service and they love the ease of getting a new phone, tablet, or hotspot. Call Toby Williams today at 252-799-7051 so you can start experiencing the joy of never going to a wireless store again. 252-799-7051 Cellular Warehouse Your local U.S. cellular Authorized agent
6: Battles aren't won Solely on the field That's a common misconception Battles are won within Over enemies of fear Enemies of doubt In that place where promises are kept. Promises to oneself. This
0: is a physical training event.
6: Promises to one's community.
0: Healthy people
3: move to out of their house.
6: Promises to one's country. In the heart of every Marine, you'll find a promise. A promise forever kept a promise of battles won the v foundation for cancer research has a simple motto don't give up don't ever give up every day nearly 1700 people die from cancer in the u.s when you support the v foundation you are saving lives creating survivors and providing hope 100 percent of your direct donation benefits cancer research Join us to help achieve victory over cancer. Because together, we will never give up. Visit V.org today.
0: See right. Pirate baseball lives right here. Go. On the flagship station of the ECU Pirates. 94.3 The Game.
2: Oh, what was that, D Rock? I kind of like it. What is that?
5: I'm, I'm personalizing your show for you, my guy.
2: <laughs> All right. You still won't tell me what the song is. It's called Jungle Love. I was about to say, why are you so protective there? I is it, it no. original? It's,
5: it's, it's, my, it's my playlist. Oh,
2: okay. All right. Hey, I like it. I'm digging it. Welcome back into the Patrick Johnson Show. Ben B. Baby Barn filling in for the P Man on the ones and twos. D Rock playing some. Uh, Hey, I like that tune there. I gotta give it to him. DJ Rock. Obviously the biggest news in sports right now is kind of the whole controversy and deal with uh, John Gruden. And uh, when I started looking into it, I really think there's an angle here or a deal here or some collusion involved that the national media is afraid to bring up. You could call me a conspiracy theorist, But I think this assumption is rooted in a lot of fact and truth. Chucky, and of course we don't have all the details, but I'm going off the details we do have. Chucky had a 10-year, $100 million contract. Everybody agrees. That was one of the worst coaching contracts in football, and I like Gruden, but that's a lot of dough to be dishing out to a guy who hadn't made the playoffs in his second stint with the Raiders. Since his return in 2018. When I look at it, I think the Raiders organization, I think they weren't happy with the direction this team was heading in anyways. People would be fooled and look at, hey, they started 3-0. and Beat beat the Ravens. Beat some good teams. Well, they're 2-0 and since, and they lost to a really bad Bears team. Also factor in, those wins weren't blowouts. They barely won those games. I get it. A win's a win. But he also got to factor in this investigation started before the season started. So now you're probably wondering, where are you getting at? What are you talking about here? How does this all connect? First of all, I didn't think Gruden was going to make it 10 years in that contract in the first place. I believe the organization wanted a way out of that contract. Now, if Gruden was to be fired, they would have to pay the remainder of his contract. That's my understanding. But if they get him to resign, that lucrative contract would be voided and he would forfeit the remainder of his salary that he was owed, which is what ended up happening. With his resi- resignation last night, he forfeited the rest of his salary, anything that was owed this year along with the rest of the years of his contract, is given back to the Raiders. They get to keep it. Wouldn't have been the case if he got fired. So, the Raiders know they have this bad contract here of Gruden. And I like Gruden, but he he just wasn't getting it done. So, how do you get Gruden to resign? Obviously, he's comfortable with a 10-year, $100 million contract. He's not going to resign on his own. Especially when his team's probably overperforming and sitting at three and two. So what do you do? You find a way to pressure him into doing it. All of a sudden, an investigation into company emails comes along and reveals some disturbing comments. And let me preface. Don't get this twisted with, I'm defending Gruden's comments. His comments were terrible. Absolutely despicable. Don't misconstrue here. I don't support anything that Gruden said. All I'm saying is that I don't think this investigation came out of nowhere before the season. I think there's a reason why he had this investigation. I think the Raiders are somewhat involved. They wanted to find a way to get Gruden out of that contract. And what's kind of I'm not going to say he's wrongfully chased out of town. I've already kind of prefaced this. It was ignorant, unacceptable what he did. The dummy was stupid enough to leave a paper trail and say these things within company emails. In today's cancel culture society, Gruden felt the pressure. He knew what was about to go down or what could potentially happen. And kind of like with old Judy there at the Conference USA, he now has to do damage control. Go ahead and resign now. Apologize for your actions. Because if you're stubborn and if you hold on any longer... The way nowadays are of cancel culture, it's just going to get a whole lot worse. Maybe, I I think it's a long shot, but maybe he might have a chance later down the line after a few apologies to maybe get back in the broadcast booth. Maybe there's still a job out there within football, whether it's on the field or off the field. But if he would have just kind of brushed this under the rug or denied this or just kind of handled this the wrong way or Handle this in a very negative way. I don't think he would have ever gotten the benefit of the doubt. I think people can forgive him for this later down the line. I know it sounds crazy to say now, but I think what he said can be forgiven later on. Now, my biggest question was why would they want to do this? It was clear Chucky had the team heading in the right direction, and then you start to break it down and see the cracks. Like I've said before, This investigation started in July. At that point in July, people were not happy with John Gruden, including the Raiders organization and what he was doing with that team. Gruden was 22-31 and in his second stint with the Raiders. He traded one of the best linebackers in the game in Khalil Mack, along with a top 10, maybe top 5 receiver now in Amari Cooper, and he was a really great receiver at the time, the Probably one of their best offensive threats on that team at the time. And what did they get in return for those trades? Well, first with the Khalil Mack trade, he got Josh Jacobs, who is a great back, but running backs are a dime a dozen in this league. If a team does not have a good running back, or at least a good running back on their team nowadays, chances are they're a dumpster fire. They're just not very good. I'm looking at the Jets. Jets are a clear-as-day example there. So what did he get in return for that Khalil Mack trade? He did get Josh Jacobs. Outside of that, a bunch of draft bust and rotational pieces that he reached on in the draft. And from the Amari Cooper trade, the best player he got was safety Jonathan Abraham, who's proven nothing in the league. He's literally known for being a hard hitter, and we've barely seen it in a game. He's just not a good... I mean, he's just not... He's not shown anything, this Abram guy, this Abraham guy. I don't think it was, he clearly lost those trades. There's no way, it's one of the worst trades in recent memory, those two. Outside of the abysmal trades with the fourth pick in the 2019 draft, he passed on guys like Devin White, Super Bowl champ, all-pro linebacker. Josh Allen, who looks like from year to year an MVP candidate, has the Buffalo Bills as a contender. That could have been your franchise quarterback. We'd have been looking at John Gruden in a different light. He passed on tight end TJ Hawkinson, Pro Bowl tight end. And he passed on Brian Burns, Panthers defensive end, stud. One of the I would say one of the five best defensive ends in the game. Who did he get with that fourth pick? Defensive tackle Cleland Farrell out of Clemson. That name ring a bell? Maybe from college in the NFL hasn't done much. He's won the biggest bust of the past three years. Then he brought in questionable characters like Richie Incognito, Antonio Brown, Vontez Burfecht. And then he factor in, he had an overcommitment to, let's face it, a quarterback that's just not really that good, and Derek Carr, and he clearly hasn't been that guy at quarterback. I don't know why he had such a why he had a, such a commitment to Derek Carr is beyond me. The only time I saw anything with Derek Carr was in the 2016 season. MVP candidate, willed the Raiders into the playoffs, got hurt, didn't get to play in the playoffs, but nonetheless had a good year then. Outside of that, Derek Carr has not been good. You're talking a guy probably, I don't want to say bottom tier, but maybe one step above that. And the offensive line since Gruden's arrival went from being top 10 in the league to maybe bottom tier in the league. It's a really bad offensive line now. So on the outside looking in, this seemed like a Raiders team that could go to the playoffs this year, but they've proven to be pretenders instead of contenders with their loss to Chicago last week, only dropping nine points against a bad, like that Chicago defense is not as good as everybody says it is anymore. And you have to understand, The investigation, once again, started back in July in the offseason when there were still a lot of doubts and disappointments around John Gruden as a head coach so far in the NFL. But at the end of the day, long story short, bad drafting, some of the worst trades in recent memory, questionable locker room building, among many other things, along with one of the most lucrative contracts for a coach in NFL history, is why the Raiders would want to what Chucky gone and they got what they wanted. It ain't because of these emails. I can tell you the Raiders don't care a lick about these emails. That's all PR. The reason why Chucky is gone is all about football. And they found an opportunity, they saw an opportunity, and they capitalized on it. Prove me otherwise. Prove me otherwise. There's just no other way around it. Chucky wasn't getting it done. 10 years, $100 million. Jeez. So that was kind of my thoughts on that. I find it weird. Well, I shouldn't find it weird. I know why, but the national media is not going to bring that up. And there's facts that suggest my point there. I brought up plenty of facts. This is just my point. Media won't bring that up. You definitely won't hear it on ESPN. I find it funny, I saw this tweet earlier today, ESPN's criticizing John Gruden's conduct before he was with the Raiders, when he wasn't even a coach, with company emails, and saying what he did is despicable, not not considering the fact, or kind of ignoring the fact, or not spotlighting the fact that John Gruden was employed by ESPN at the time. When he was sending these emails. They don't want you to know that. They don't want to tell you that. So that tells ESPN once again. It's all PR with them. It's all about money. Oh, this is the age we live in, D. Rock. What he did was horrendous or what he said was horrendous. I don't support it whatsoever. But I find it sickening that the Raiders are trying to say... This is about what he said or what he did, instead of saying it's not about football or it's about football. The way I look at it, when you look in between the cracks, it's pretty obvious it's about football. Anyways, I thought I should throw that out there. Something to think about, something to look into. A little conspiracy theory segment there, D Rock. I don't know. We need to find a catchy title for that. Conspiracy theory. I don't know, D Rock. You're creative. Come up with a segment name for that. But I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. I think there's a lot of truth in that. I think they're not being completely honest with their intent with that whole Gruden deal. Anyways, when we come back from the break, we'll wrap it up. We'll preview the rest of the week. The return of Philip Ralph Pilkington back from Beantown in Boston. But first, when we come back, the latest development from something we talked about yesterday... Eagles fans having relations in the bathroom at Bank of America during the Panthers game. There's more to the scandal than meets the eye. All that and much more next here on The Patrick Johnson Show.
0: Miss a moment.
4: Remember, of, there will be a test.
0: You can log on to the brand new 943thegame.com for the podcast of the PJ Show. Plus, what's going on with sports in Pitt County and around the globe. And the latest on the ECU Pirates. Log on, on today. today at the brand new 943thegame.com. You
6: are dismissed.
0: Fastest two hours in radio. Fastest two hours in radio. The award-winning Bushlight Pirate Game Day Countdown. With Patrick Johnson and ECU legend Terrence Copper. Counting down to kick off with all the info you need to get ready for game day. Green 54. <laughs> the Bushlight Pirate Game Day Countdown. The Pirate Game Day Countdown. On 94.3 The Game and 94.3TheGame.com. <laughs>
3: Time now for an update from Town Insurance. I've got my friend Jim Clement in the
4: studio with me. Jim, great to see
3: you. What's new
4: at Town Insurance? What's new, Henry, is our growth in this state. We have now exceeded $60 million in revenue with 300 employees over both states, Virginia and North Carolina. But North Carolina, our footprint goes from Kerala down to Wilmington to Kinston, Greenville, Raleigh, and our newest operation in Charlotte. So Jim, well, what does that mean for all of your clients and uh, friends in Eastern North Carolina? Because of town's massive resources, meaning access to more companies and markets, we are able to serve all of our clients right here in eastern North Carolina with their personal lines, their commercial lines, their life and health needs, or their small business needs. We continue to hear more and more about town insurance, and uh, it's great to
3: have you in here giving us an update today. How about people who aren't doing business with you right now in eastern North Carolina?
4: What would you say to them? Come to town today. What's the telephone number? 756- My part-time service in the Army National Guard makes it possible for me to be more for the community I call home. My training helps me at work when I lead by example. My service in the Army National Guard allows me to keep my community and those I care about safe from threats. Learn more about how you too can live and serve part-time close to home by visiting NationalGuard.com
6: sponsored by the North Carolina Army National Guard, aired by the North Carolina Association of Broadcasters and this
3: station. The new Ace Hardware is open in Greenville at the corner of Charles Boulevard and Firetower Road. So get ready, Greenville, for great customer service. The new Ace Hardware features great grills from Traeger, Weber, Big Green Egg, and more. Plus name brand tools like Husqvarna, Milwaukee, DeWalt, Craftsman, and the new Ego line. The new Ace also has a full line of Benjamin Moore paints. Get ready, Greenville. The new Ace Hardware store is open. Come see them at the corner of Charles and Firetower in the old Rite Aid location.
6: The fighting spirit of the Marine Corps is born of Battles won. Battles won within, over enemies of fear, enemies of doubt. It's who we are, it's what we do. It's a promise made to you for more than two centuries. A promise of the Marines.
0: Like us on Facebook for breaking sports stories and the latest from around the Pirate Nation. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. That's 94.3 The Game's Facebook page. Like us and follow us there today.
2: Welcome back into the Patrick Johnson Show. Ben Byrne here to wrap it up. I'm D Rock on the ones and twos. And we talked a little bit about this yesterday towards the end. Eagles fans caught during the Panthers-Eagles game, having relations in the bathroom in the stall, and apparently they weren't arrested. Some new details have came out about this, and I just find this funny. Why not? Just a fun little way to end the show here. There's videos making the rounds now. No, 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 I saw your face there, DR. No, there's no, not inside the stall or anything. Just of the uh, commotion going on in the bathroom around the stall. So, in these videos, you can see a fairly large crowd has gathered around the stalls, including some cops. The crowd chants in typical Eagles fashion, Let them finish. Let them finish. Jeez. And uh, these fans did not get arrested. No charges against them. You know why? You want to take a wild guess, D-Rock?
5: Was it the mob of other fans outside the stall?
2: No. It could, they couldn't prove anything. They couldn't prove anything illegal was going on or they were doing anything in the bathroom, which I guess makes sense. No, I mean, nobody wants to go in there and take a peek. It's all assumption. But we know what's going on. We know what's going on in there. They were escorted out in handcuffs. No charges were filed. They said the only wrongdoing that was found, that it was against policy for women to be in the men's bathroom. Hey, that's not very 2021 of them. Man, that game is frustrating. Losing the Eagles 21-18. Eagles are not a good football team. And then they got to rub it in, celebrate in the bathroom. What I found weird about that whole deal, too, is that when you go to big stadiums like that, there's already lines for each stall. Even at Hurricanes games is that way, for hockey. There's lines for each stall. So you know they had to be in there for at least like five minutes. People are getting anxious. I think that's why the cops are called. That's I think that's why there was some commotion. But I find it weird that all of a sudden they just started like rallying around them. Anyways, that's going to do it for the Patrick Johnson Show. Be baby filling in for the P-Man. We'll come your way tomorrow. Fill the ref Pilkington to return. Is your pharmacy fumbling when it comes to customer?